Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate AudioCast Newsletter. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 12, Letter Number 47. This week, we're going to talk a bit about COVID quick hits, pandemic academic losses, and we're going to touch about the recipe of the week. This newsletter does correspond with the week of November 7th of 2022. Free thoughts. Well, for me, this was the week that I was planning to slow down COVID updates, but then new data on the lack of benefit of the new vaccines and new variants, and there you have it, still writing. Crazy to think. Here we are, 74 coronavirus updates later and still talking about this bloody virus. Unbelievable. Song of the Week, That's All Right by Elvis. All right, let's get started. The Omicron strains, as of November 5th data, according to the CDC, is made up of the variants BA.4.6 at 10%, BA.2.75 at 2%, BF.7 at 9%, BA.5 is now down to 39%, and the two new players are BQ.1 at 17% and BQ.1.1 at 19%. BA.5 has lost most of the ground it had held for a while, to many new Omicron variant offshoots. As stated, BF.7, BQ.1, and BQ.1.1 are taking the lion's share right now. And that's very interesting because that means they are more infectious than BA.5, which I didn't think was really possible. But lo and behold, it is. It remains amazing. BF.7 and the new BQ variants have mutations in the spike in nucleotide regions of the RNA genome of the virus that has allowed it to have increased infectiousness and immune evasion. So we're learning now that a lot of the pharmaceutical antibody therapies that were previously in effect are no longer working and that their vaccine isn't working very well either from a transmission and um, protection against actually getting sick perspective. But it does still look like the vaccine is helping prevent death and dying in those at risk. And there is no increased level of morbidity from these new variants. So we're in a good place overall. Why are we seeing such massive waves of RSV and influenza A right now? Well, there's a lot of thoughts, but here's what seems to be the case. These viruses normally circulate in the winter only, mostly. The answer to this question is really nuanced, but likely primarily because of the pandemic, social distancing, and hygiene activity with masking. During the 2020-2022 cycle of COVID fear and mitigation of viral risk, most of us avoided the normal trappings of viral spread. We masked avoiding the viral droplet portal of entry most commonly used. We kept our children semi-isolated from our neighbors and other children in schools to a prevention strategy that kept them from getting sick. We practiced enhanced hand washing and sanitizing, reducing natural viral spread through contact. In essence, we stopped the normal propagation of respiratory viruses for two years. A whole cycle of children between zero and two years of age are RSV and influenza immune naive, leading to perfect host pool for massive spread. The two to 18 year olds have had a long pause in exposure, reducing circulating viral antibody titers to negligible levels, leading to stronger infections and more spread in that group as well. Anyone who has a child in college, me, for example, has seen infection after infection pound these students this fall. It seems like they are always dealing with a viral illness. Immunity countrywide will return in the coming year to these viral illnesses, reverting to the old reality of winter predominance. 
Crickets and other musings. Number one, I spoke to Dr. Paul Offit this week after seeing the new data, and he was right, after all, according to two new studies in BioRxiv. Dr. David Ho and his group looked at a small group of vaccinees from the older booster versus the new Omicron-based bivalent booster and found that the new version offered no benefit over the ancestral strain-based vaccine for the development of antibodies that are specific to Omicron or more volume-based vaccination. Dr. Dan Baruch and his group also found similar results, noting that the immune imprinting reality has come to pass, as Dr. Offit rightly predicted. The antibody response was similar between groups, and there was no clinically relevant disease protection from the new bivalent boosters over the original strains. However, there needs to be more time to prove out this truth regarding clinical outcomes. That is the first impression. The antibodies produced are mostly against the ancestral strain and not the new Omicron variant, fulfilling Dr. Offit's immune imprinting discussion. If we go back to the science article, Reynolds' paper, we also see similar issues playing out with natural and hybrid immunity realities. Go back and listen to podcast number 27 with Dr. Offit to learn more about this topic. Thus, it appears now for all intents and purposes that these individuals that had natural Wuhan, Alpha, or Delta infections or were vaccinated with the ancestral mRNA vaccines and then get either Omicron infection or a booster Omicron via the bivalent mRNA boosters, they will not mount a response against specific Omicron antigens in a meaningful way, but will still maintain good protection against severe disease and hospitalization. So it appears that we will be getting repeatedly infected with the Omicron variants despite vaccinations and or prior infections with Omicron. This is playing out very much like the reality of the common cold coronaviruses. Repeated illnesses every year or two or three. In the interview with Dr. Offit, there were a few big takeaways. Boosters for non-risk-based teen and young adults are unlikely to provide benefit while offering a small but real risk of myocarditis. Boosters are offering minimal benefit to the nation from a transmission perspective, at best 8 to 10 weeks of protection against symptomatic disease. Dr. Offit himself voted against adding Omicron antigens to this false booster as there was limited data that it would be of any benefit. He was in the minority at the FDA advisory committee, thus this false booster that we just have been giving will have the BA.5 and 0.4 strains in it. The boosters could, not shown yet in humans, block future variant immunity to newer strains through viable immune printing. This seems to be playing out. Humans need to pay more attention to their health to mitigate disease over time. We as a society need to stop tiptoeing around the concepts of lifestyle-induced disease risk and in a non-judging manner educate everyone in these risk categories. He clearly states that we have achieved our goal with vaccinations. The reduction of death and hospitalization, and it appears the two-dose primary series was enough to achieve it. I couldn't agree more. High-risk groups are the ones that should vaccinate every time a new vaccine is available based on the guidelines from here on out. In a recent piece in Time magazine, Dr. Offit also offered the following, quote, that has vaccine experts divided. Dr. Paul Offit, a member of the advisory committee, says the strategy makes him uncomfortable for several reasons. He notes that the data presented from Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna in June involving the BA.1 booster shot, which focused on the levels of virus-fighting antibodies the vi vaccine generated, were underwhelming. 
They showed that neutralizing antibody titers were between 1.5 and two-fold greater against Omicron than levels induced by a booster to the ancestral vaccine. I'd like to see clear evidence of dramatic increase in neutralizing antibodies, more dramatic than what we saw against BA.1 before launching a new product. We're owed at least that, end quote. While conducting human studies does take more time, Offit says even a small trial involving about 100 people to measure their antibody levels after getting a BA.4.5 booster would be very helpful. You can boost people and measure their neutralizing antibodies two weeks later, he says. Such information could also be critical in setting realistic expectations for the Omicron booster. The public might feel it's a panacea that signals the end of the pandemic, but without any data showing how well the booster will protect people from not only getting sick, there might be unrealistic, unrealistic expectations about what the boosters can do. He says, I get a little nervous, frankly, when I hear this booster is going to be miraculous, end quote. That comes from us from the Time Magazine article by Park, 2022. All right, number two. Quote, between December 8, 2020 and February 28, 2022, 16 million individuals completed their primary vaccine schedule and 13.8 million individuals received a booster dose. Between December 20, 2021 and February 28 of 2022, 59,000 or 0.4% of the primary vaccine group and 26,000 or 0.2% of those who received their booster had severe COVID-19 outcomes. The risk of severe COVID-19 outcomes reduced after receiving the booster. Older adults greater than 80 years versus the 18 to 49 year old group. Those with comorbidities greater than five comorbidities versus none being male and those with certain underlying health conditions, in particular, individuals receiving immunosuppressants, yes versus no, were they on it or were they not, and those with chronic kidney disease remained at high risk despite the initial booster. Individuals with a history of COVID-19 infection were at reduced risk, infected greater than nine months before booster dose versus no previous infection. Older people, those with multimorbidity, and those with specific underlying health conditions remain at increased risk for COVID-19 hospitalization and death after the initial vaccine booster and should therefore be prioritized for additional boosters, including novel optimized versions and the increasing array of COVID-19 therapeutics, end quote. That comes just from Agrawal, A-G-R-A-W-A-L, et al., 2022. And what the author is clearly stating here is that there is a defined group of risk categories, as stated, people in their elderly years, greater than 80, multiple comorbid risk factors, men in these age groups as well, and those on immunosuppressants who are much higher risk and they need to be prioritized, and I couldn't agree more again. Number three, quote, in a sample of twice vaccinated older community dwelling U.S. adults, self-reported systemic symptoms after SARS-CoV-2 mRNA vaccination were associated with greater antibody response versus local only or no symptoms. These results agree with previous support in U.S. healthcare workers that showed higher post-vaccination antibody measurements among those with significant symptoms after an mRNA vaccine. This report identifies age, sex, and Moderna vaccine as factors associated with both vaccine rectogenicity and immunogenicity consistent with prior observations. No association was observed between symptoms after vaccination and race or ethnicity, body mass index, or comorbidities. Nonetheless, systemic symptoms remained associated with greater antibody response in multivariable adjusted models, highlighting unexplained interpersonal variability. In conclusion, these findings support reframing post-vaccination symptoms as signals of vaccine effectiveness and reinforce guidelines for vaccine boosters in all adults. 
and quote Herman et al. 2022. This piece is straightforward and relatively expected. The more an immune response to a virus or a vaccine is usually associated with a more robust antibody response. The problem again remains that this is only useful for two to five months as antibodies wane rapidly. Thus, as stated, repeated boosting is important for those at risk, according to the study data. Number four, I find this piece in the Wall Street Journal enlightening when it comes to money spend that is misguided. From the article, it states, quote, Since COVID shots first became available, the federal government has purchased and distributed them instead of relying on the market to match supply with demand. The result has been a colossal waste. Between December 2020 and mid-May 2022, the U.S. wasted 82 million doses. Some expired on pharmacy shelves before they could be used. Others were discarded after remaining unclaimed in open multi-use vials. The FDA authorized bivalent vaccines at the end of August for people who had received their primary dose series or their most recent booster shot at least two months prior. The CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices ratified the recommendation despite concerns among some members that the vaccines didn't have enough testing on human subjects and that two months wasn't long enough between shots. The Biden administration announced on September 8th that it had secured 170 million of the updated doses. It's still seeking an additional 22 billion from Congress for more. End quote. Zinberg J. 2022. The bivalent vaccine uptake in our office and nationally has been paltry at best and is likely to remain that way. The new vaccine has not shown to be exceptionally well geared towards preventing the transmission of the virus and or having symptomatic disease in general. So it's not surprising a lot of people don't want it. Since the federal government bankrolled the entire project of Operation Warp Speed, there was little to no reason to overbuy and waste federal dollars that could have been spent to buy good food for people, which could have a profound impact on health nationally. Money waste at the government level is constant, annoying, but I digress. Number five. Monica Gandhi has more great information to share. Quote, antibody-producing memory B cells generated by vaccines or as part of a prior infection has been shown to recognize the virus, including the ability to adapt to variants to which they are exposed. Although we do not know how long these memory B cells last, survivors of the 1918 influenza pandemic were able to produce antibodies from memory B cells when their blood was exposed to same strain nine decades or 90 years later. The vaccines also trigger the production of T cells. While B cells serve as memory banks to produce antibodies when needed, T cells amplify the body's response to a virus and help recruit cells to attack pathogen directly. T cells from the vaccine preserve polyfunctionality across the Omicron variant. Memory T cells generated by COVID-19 may last a lifetime, according to a study that examined participants with varying degrees of initial disease severity. Memory T cells generate individuals who survived a coronavirus infection in 2003 were shown in a recent paper to last at least 17 years. Booster shots will just raise antibodies temporarily, but their effectiveness wanes several months later. However, each booster or exposure diversifies and broadens T-cell responses to the virus, and a booster shot will also expand the potency of B-cells, making them better able to respond to Omicron. During the Omicron variant surge this winter, we did see a greater chance of reinfection compared with previous variants, but not in severe disease across the general population with two-dose vaccines. Booster shots helped older people and older patients achieve greater protection against severe infection, however, and are most critical for those 65 years of age. 
Those with an immunocompromising condition shall also get additional shots, end quote, Monica Gandhi. Again, straightforward, laying out the case that those of us who do not have major comorbid risk have B and T cell sensitivity to Omicron and many of the other variants that are in circulation today for a long period of time, begging the question again on who really needs the vaccine boosters. Make your own decisions based on the data as stated. Non-COVID quick hit number six. Quote, in this study comparing non-video game users with video game users, they were found, the non-video game users were found to exhibit better cognitive performance involving response inhibition of working memory as well as altered bold signal in key regions of the cortex responsible for visual attention and memory processing. The findings are consistent with video gaming that state that they will improve cognitive abilities that involve response inhibition and working memory and altering their underlying cortical pathways. End quote. Tarani, C-H-A-A-R-A-N-I et al., 2022. What we see on occasion in studies of video gaming is an uptick in processing and working memory. These findings are not surprising in the context of what modern video gaming requires a user to do to complete the tasks. The issue remains that for most video game users, the time spent becomes a detrimental wave toward dysfunction. Sedentary activity for hours is unhealthy. Focusing your vision on a narrow, close field for hours is a pathway to myopia. Spending hours gaming takes away from other events that are important, i.e. studies, sport, music, exploratory craft, and imaginative learning. Take this data for what it's worth. Video games are probably useful for one to two hours a day, max. Section 2. Major Academic Losses from the Pandemic From the NAEP statistics sheet, just released, we see that in 2022, the average fourth grade score for end-of-year testing in mathematics went down by five points from the last test year. The post-pandemic reality in the lowest recorded drop since 2005. When looking at the eighth grade, scores dropped by eight points compared to 2019. These scores were also lower than all previous assessments going back to 2003. Reading, on the other hand, went down marginally and was not an alarm bell like mathematics. For me, this sounds like this could be an effect of pandemic leaving children at home where they're more likely to be read with or to by their parents, those that are so inclined to do so. Whereas parents in general are not inclined to do mathematics with their kids. And that is something generally stuck to the world of school. That's a hypothesis. This is unfortunately another in a long stream of evidence that lockdowns and the issues related to the pandemic and how it was handled are damaging to our youth. Section three is the recipe of the week. Slow cooker beef and polenta. It's a nice, happy mouthfeel dish. Grass-fed beef gives us a lot of iron, protein, and omega-3 fats. I highly encourage you to give it a whirl. Go to salisburypediatrics.com. Click the health and wellness tab, and the recipes are there. Click on the link and go to the page. All right, folks. That's it for this week. Quick and dirty. Again, remember... The song of the week is Elvis is That's All Right. And if you're inclined to listen to the podcast this week, uh, it's correlated with number 33, David Allison, who is a research PhD in the world of studying obesity, weight gain, and everything related to how the study should be performed or done. As always, hug those kids. Have a great day.
The information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for educational and informational purposes only is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This newsletter does not constitute development of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.